Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. My name is Helen. I'm Janet. And I'm Mel. In 2014, the term girl boss was popularized through a book written by Sofia Amoroso, owner of a fast fashion empire called Nasty Gal. A year prior, a book called Lean In, Women, Work, and the Will to Lead was introduced by Sheryl Sandberg, Facebook's COO. Both of these books promoted the message that in order to achieve professional success, women could simply lean into their work and work hard to get a seat at the table. To become a go-getter, CEO, who through grit and hard work, could also pull other women up and in doing so, work towards a parallel pursuit of equality in the workplace. The Girl Boss Movement encouraged women to advocate for themselves in the workplace, thereby bringing the social justice issue of feminism into the context of a capitalistic environment. Suddenly, these women held reputations as both entrepreneurs or CEOs and the figureheads of a feminist movement. It became a huge movement that coincided with the post-recession hustle culture, where millennials could wear their ambitions on their sleeves, parading their 100-hour work weeks and travel schedules like badges of honor. We all bought into it, and we still do. But now in 2020, it seems that the whole hashtag girl boss movement has died. And with the rise of hashtag cancel culture, a lot of powerful women who bought into the girl boss movement has been called out and have stepped down. Steph Corey, CEO of Away for her management style. Audrey Gelman, founder of The Wing for low pay and poor treatment of her people, largely women of color. Mickey Agrawal, founder of Thinks after being accused of sexual harassment. On June 22nd, Medium published an article titled, The End of the Girl Boss is Here. And on June 25th, The Atlantic followed with an article titled, The Girl Boss Has Left the Building. These articles exposed Sofia Amoroso's constant turnover, accusations of discrimination and abusive management, and the company's eventual bankruptcy. A sentence that stood out to us and compelled us to record this episode is, quote, the confident, hardworking, camera-ready young woman of a publicist's dreams apparently had an evil twin. A woman, pedigreed and usually white, who was not only as accomplished as her male counterparts, but just as cruel and demanding too, end quote. So we're going to talk about some of the points in this article that we found interesting. 
Um, one theme that I found interesting within this article is that the hashtag girl boss is or was about a woman, usually a white woman, being at the top of a company, just like the white males before them. And most of the women got there by acting like white men and playing the white man's game. They were seen as the same as the men, you know, before them, if not worse. One of the reasons why the girl boss movement worked is because of this presumption that women are inherently good or moral peoples, too. Uh, to quote the Atlantic article, for the girl boss theory of the universe to quote here, women have to be inherently good and moral creatures, or at least inherently better than men, end quote. Men didn't recognize the privilege that they had because it was a system that they had built, but women did, and women called out those privileges too. So I think that we all fell into this belief that women leaders would always be on the right side of equality. And with the girl boss movement, unfortunately, some women took advantage of this narrative and benefited from the, the sympathy or idea that they were the underdogs who could, you know, fix the system. Yeah, you know, for me, you know, part I was wondering about was, you know, why was the wing getting so much more heat compared to, you know, Soho House, which is another elitist network, or WeWork, you know, it was quoted in the article mm -hmm. that, you know, the wing charged $185 a month for membership compared to $350 for WeWork. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. And uh, I mean, I think it goes back to this foundation of the girl boss movement and also society's expectation for women leaders to be more nurturing compared to men who might be more forgiven mm -hmm. um, for a more like commanding leadership style, mm -hmm. right? I also think that people tend to impose their expectations on people regardless of what they stand for, but because of their physical features. Like for example, when I think about Asians in Hollywood, because there are so few of them out there, like did I get upset when certain Asian celebrities didn't post about COVID and racism towards Asians? I kind of did. Mm. And I, I do catch myself thinking, these people already have so much pressure on them. They didn't choose to represent Asians just because they're Asian. So I, I do try and like catch myself there. Yeah. But I think that with the wing, you know, they cater towards a more female demographic. And, and that's that's probably why they got a, a lot of shit about mm. it. Yeah. Mel, if you could help me clarify that the wing got a lot of flack versus Soho or WeWork. And you're saying it's because they are like elitist and charging, charging more for their membership fees, right? Yeah. I guess for me, I was just curious because, you know, like they're both charging membership and you would say that the wing is charging less and they're both seen as like elitist type of networks. But then why was mm -hmm. the wing getting more heat compared to like a WeWork, you know, which charges 200 bucks more, right? Mm, I see, I see. One of the articles seemed to highlight really the fact that not only were they uh, female run, but they branded themselves as socially mm -hmm. aware, woke feminists. Um, and, you know, they said that if you went to the wing's website, um, you would, based on like the content that was there, it appeared as if like 75% of their members were women of color. Um, mm. And, you know, the thing that they got flack for was then, you know, mistreatment and mostly of women of color. So in some ways it was like they were directly benefiting and profi profiting off of this image of feminism, mm. but not following through with their actions. So, you know, maybe in the case of the wing, we see that there was a deliberate mismatch of what they were saying and what they were doing. But for some of these other uh, successful women that, you know, fall into the girl boss movement uh, who did not really ever claim to be feminists, is it fair to really call them out and expect them to uphold this image when it was kind of pushed on them by society? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, when I was reading the article, I kind of thought about Sophia Amoroso. And in the article, it quoted that, you know, the author said, I think of her as an entrepreneur first, not as a figurehead of a movement. But Amoroso never branded herself as a feminist. And I think for Sophia's case, uh, by the way, I did not read her book. I think she just made really poor business and like people management choices as a CEO. And it mm -hmm. just also made me think about, you know, 
female entrepreneurs in general, like, would you say that then all female entrepreneurs fall under the social justice or SJW category? Is it because naturally being a female entrepreneur, they are now under this girl boss group? You know, if so, I think that's an unspoken expectation and pressure people need to understand. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I think it's an issue when you're mixing social justice with capitalism. Mm. Like when you represent a social justice issue, that establishes a certain expectation for your brand. And when you don't meet certain expectations, they have a right to be angry at you. But I think to your point, Mel, if you are a woman running a company without the social justice agenda, like the founders of Away and Outdoor Voices, who kind of put themselves as entrepreneurs first, then are we disproportionately attacking women who have made it because it's so rare to see women at the top? I'm not disagreeing mm. that they should that they should have been reprimanded as like mean-spirited bosses, but are we putting just as much energy and scrutiny on powerful men who are also tyrants in their management styles, men who have been called out for sexual harassment and low pay to their employees? Like, are we being sexist for calling out women mm. and, and so many of them recently, right? Mm. I don't know. I, I feel like I don't know the answer to this, but uh, this is, you know, maybe just good food for thought for our, our listeners. Yeah, these are all really good points and questions. I'm curious, like, for our listeners, if you have a perspective on this, um, share with us. Another quote that stood out to um, us during these articles was, quote, during a time where the country is grappling with death, racist violence, unemployment, and homelessness, the corporate feminist voice takes a back seat." end quote. You know, that's that's true. Since the movement took off in 2014, there was an Ebola break, there was Ferguson and the BLM strike, people were dying. And these issues around, you know, humanity really outshone, outshined the, the, the girl boss feminist narrative. And it does seem like now in 2020, the overall theme of the world is that our society recognizes an imbalance of power everywhere. And we are in need of structural change. Because when our country is grappling with like death and racism and violence and unemployment, homelessness, to quote the Atlantic article, success, quote, doesn't involve acing performance reviews or getting the most out of your interns, end quote. I think this this movement is going away from like self-centeredness and towards, you know, social interests. The quote unquote feminism that we sort of bought into, which was a self-empowered, assertive and persistent woman, persistent to the point that you get what you want, is what we're seeing now as like the Karen that we're canceling, a meme of an entitled white woman that that makes too much fuss, right? And the the issue with girl boss feminism is that it is centered around individual women focusing on their own, you know, office hustle versus versus the system at large and, and every and all the complexities and nuances that are within the system that we need to be aware of. You know, we definitely see the feminist girl boss movement taking a backseat, you know, but to quote the Atlantic article, the current cultural pushback against girl bosses isn't a desire to be done pursuing equality or to stop trying to eliminate workplace disparities, end of quote. You know, we have to acknowledge that dismantling systems is not an overnight fix and that it has not been done correctly. The goal of the hashtag girl boss movement was generally good, you know, like a temporary remodel or even a step closer to taking down the systems in place. But now the question is, you know, how do we change the system and see annual progress? You know, how does a female entrepreneur survive in this world? Yeah. So the three of us in reading these articles, um, you know, just did a lot of thinking and had a lot of conversations um, about kind of what was happening on a macro level. But um, the Girl Boss movement actually did happen or, it, you know, it became popularized during the time uh, when we graduated college. So we are essentially kind of a target audience for for the movement. Uh, and for you ladies, did you ever feel 
that you were impacted by the girl boss movement? I mean, I mean, for me, I definitely feel like I was. Um, when I read Lean In in 2013, it was one of my favorite books that I had read. I was three years into my finest career, so still very early on in my career. And I had my eye on the prize of upper management. I wanted to overcome the struggles that Lean In identified for women, the perfectionism, the people-pleasing, the self-doubt side. And I think for myself as a daughter of immigrants and someone who held a core value of family, being able to provide for my family and take care of myself, I very much viewed hard work as a way to will my way to the top. Mm. And for me, I, I never questioned the system. Like I knew I had to play into the system to succeed. And the, the lean in movement, the girl boss movement, that definitely reinforced that um, that I, I needed to have hustle, you know, mm. to the get your seat at the table mentality. And it felt like if, if what's her name, Marissa Myers, uh, mm-hmm. if, if she could work 130 hours a week to run Yahoo, that I could eventually do that too. Yeah. I also believe that the lean in and girl boss theory came from a place of, you know, finally someone acknowledging the issues of a male run organization or patriarchy. Mm-hmm. The feeling of knowing that it wasn't just me that sat with these these thoughts. These thoughts, like as a female, my voice didn't seem as welcome as a white male coworker's voice was. That I always felt like I was in um, some like shadow, some somewhat like hidden and not the protagonist of my my early career, and it gave me a sense of comfort to finally hear a powerful female executive call out these exact same thoughts. I definitely bought into the movement: work hard, don't show that you're stressed, grind, don't show weakness, and you know now I see the flaw that it perpetuated the notion that women can have it all by doing these things. I think now that our generation had has reached a level of burnout, the question is. Do we even want it all? And is the quote unquote all the same for men as it is for women? Mm-hmm. Because if we if we think about it, our current power structures are designed for people that created it to succeed. Mm. The nine to five is bad for women because school is a nine to three ordeal. And we operate in a society where women are expected to pick up their children from school. And the work culture created by men essentially made it impossible for women to succeed. We are, you know, finally starting to see equal maternity and paternity leave time, but only within the past few years. The intention of that was to force equality into the home. Mm-hmm. I think um, in the past, like men were expected to be the breadwinners. They were never questioned by people when they were lo- working late or not home to take care of the kids. And they, they had this like work hard, play hard, drink hard mentality to balance out the workloads. And for me as a woman, that doesn't sound appealing to me at all, like sometimes, but not all the time, you know? And, you know, the question of like, what does it look like for women to have it all? That all that I'm trying to achieve is not the all that was sort of painted for us by the girl boss and the the lean in movement. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I do feel like as a a post-2008, post-recession graduate, fresh out of undergrad, I was definitely the target for girl boss and the lean in movement and i think there was also this belief that the lean in and girl boss movement there was a notion that women could succeed while upholding these feminist values and creating safe spaces and showing empathy and also treating their employees humanely mm-hmm. um at least you know that's that's kind of what i had bought into yeah this is super random but i, I think i am hearing your story helen like obviously my career is different than yours like you went into corporate like janet too and this is like a really weird comparison but have you guys watched the matrix Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like when you finally go into work and see the, like, the kind of disparities within like male and women, like it's just like you kind of enter the matrix. You're like, oh, this is a whole system that I bought into, but it's actually may not be correct, right? So how do you fit? Mm-hmm. So you're like this like loss of innocence, this matrix mentality. So how do you recreate the system but also work within it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it's very true. And I, I don't know why when you said that, I thought about this thing that <laughs> Philip said before. I did something stupid and he was like, you're 
you're not dumb. You're gullible. And I was like, ooh, that hits a little hard, but it's like really funny. And when I think about it in the context of like this workplace-ish like thing, mm-hmm. right? I feel like I was, I fell mm-hmm. into the system and I was gullible in believing that the lean in movement and all of that could, could somehow be like a, a solution or a fix yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. But never in my mind did I think like, oh, the system is mm-hmm. wrong. It's more just like, how do you fit into the system to succeed? Yeah. I think growing up, maybe also being Asian American, I would say that we're not taught to question the system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That uh, the a great benefit for the Lean In movement and for Girl Boss was that you were able to see an example of a woman who was achieving the same levels of, of success as a man while still holding on to and, and having it all, right? Having everything that mm-hmm. the family life. Um, did you, like in your workplace and personal experiences, were there women, women that you saw who were like, who had made it? There was... Not a lot, unfortunately, but one of my first bosses back when I was in Boston, something that she did um, that I I completely was like, wow, she's amazing, is that she would leave work at five to say, oh, I need to go, go like see my son's soccer game. And she made it very clear. like She was, she was leaving at five mm-hmm. to take care of her kids. And she was doing these things intentionally so that she could balance both her work and her family lifestyle mm-hmm. i don't know if men did the same but i think because she had done that and that's so different from what i expected from a female leader that made a difference and an impact to me towards also when i became a manager how i would treat my like staff and seniors and and how i would like put myself off as someone who wanted to also make sure i wasn't only work focused and mm-hmm. that i had a life outside of work mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. i would say that definitely few and far between for women leaders who exemplified this sort of like balance that they were able to Mm. show (laughs) i guess it's yeah to me it's interesting that it's like the sophia moroso and you know uh marissa meyer and cheryl sandberg they held this like this role but it's like was it really realistic like were women actually seeing other women in the workplace achieving these balances yeah yeah i would say like yeah that the person that i mentioned she was maybe the only woman that i can at least remember and call Mm -hmm. right now that made an impact on me in um, that she could do it mm-hmm. and I think 90% I would say of the other women leaders was more of that like work super hard work super late don't show up at home for their kids for dinner and, and things like that they had a nanny they had help um, and that was never something that I wanted in my own future career mm-hmm. how about for you Mel I'm interested to hear if the girl boss movement affected you okay so for me the girl boss the book came out in 2014 so it's actually a year after I graduated college I graduated in 2013 And, you know, I mentioned this in previous episodes. I feel like I pursued a career in media right off the bat. I didn't go straight into corporate. And so when I heard about the book, I actually heard it through YouTubers. And it was on my reading list, Mm -hmm. but I never actually bought the book. And I only wanted to buy the book because I thought it would empower me to even pursue my passion even more. And the book came recommended through a lot of Asian American female YouTubers that I looked up to. So I really just heard about the book and the movement through media, which is the industry I work in now. But my second encounter with the Girl Boss movement was probably when I first started working corporate um, in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I used to work for a fast fashion company. And that's when I realized, like, number one, I would say that we really capitalized on feminism. I mean, we would sell t-shirts that said hashtag Girl Boss. That was mm-hmm. just part of what we sold. And... For me, I was actually really turned off by this because it felt so fake. Um, mm. And I knew, but I knew it was part of my job, you know. So in a way, you could say I was playing the game. I didn't like it, but I knew I had to make money. And that that was part of my job to sell these shirts or sell these products. 
And, you know, number two, you know, working in fast fashion, I worked mostly with women. And luckily for me, mm-hmm. I never encountered really extreme tyrant-like behaviors from any of the females I worked with. But I would say that I heard comments and behaviors that just didn't sit right with me, you know. So, mm-hmm. for example, one of my, someone I worked with, she'll tell me, like, I was sharing with her that I was like, oh, my God, I'm so nervous for this photo shoot. And she was like, Mel, don't ever let them see you sweating. And I was kind of like, well, f-, f that, like. I, I don't like being fake, even at work. I understand there's a certain image you need to uphold, being professional, whatever. But for mm-hmm. me, it's like, if I feel like I'm not being transparent about how I feel, I think it's it's easy for you to face burnout, right? You're not being transparent, being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think in the end, that's actually more damaging than it is good. And so when I think, when I look back at my experience, you know, overall, when we're talking about the girl's boss movement. I would say I really never, I, I would say I never really identified with it, despite, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know it's in our Asian boss girl name, but... I've always identified the girl boss movement as being more white. Um, and I clearly mm-hmm. saw us as more Asian American. And I really, and I feel like we have our own distinct struggles that doesn't really compare or fall under the girl boss movement. I think working for a female, majority female company, like we would get invited to go like, oh, do you want to go to this certain event or this like this industry event? And then sometimes these industry events, like they're very woman empowerment. I would look at the lineup. I'm like, these are all white mm-hmm. women. And I don't feel like, mm. I don't feel very connected to this. Well, I think one of the issues with the girl boss movement is that what is an external like mission statement for that company where they they say like female empowerment is not practiced internally. But it sounds like within your company, there weren't women who were tyrants and they they did try to uphold certain, you know, feminism ideals. It's just that it was really white for you. Mm. I think sometimes for the like for the events I would be invited to it's a lot of more like female empowerment like hashtag girl boss panels or these things but when those invites were extended out to me those events were white female and my internal company wasn't though Mm. but maybe that could also be an argument that hey like the system like you said you're talking about Helen that it's hard for a woman of color let alone a woman to be up in these titles, right? So I mean, that's what it, that's the result mm-hmm. of that. But I I do think that even though I did not work in a very white dominated company, that the whole like work hard like a man mentality was present though. And I think some of the females I worked with did hold that that type of um, value and behavior that I just wasn't I wasn't about. I guess going back to what you were saying before, is it wrong then for your company to have been, I guess, kind of like capitalizing on feminism Mm -hmm. by selling these shirts that say hashtag girl boss when it is a female run company, when it is diverse and it sounds like it was inclusive also, maybe not the panels and things that they they, they kind of push onto their employees, but because it is also a fashion company, they do have to sell something and that feeds into the system of capitalism. So then... I guess I would ask you, do you still think that it was wrong for them to be selling, you know, merchandise like that? I don't think it's wrong because I do agree. Like it is a fast fashion company is more female driven. But for me, it just felt for me in general, I'm like, I just didn't like it. It just felt weird for me. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like Mel was exposed to a lot of the girl boss movement. Um, Like when we talk about kind of the difference of of branding versus like actually incorporating those values in the way that you worked. So even though there wasn't a clash of the the branding and the culture, maybe if any conversations you had around girl boss were all very kind of like branding and marketing focused and you weren't seeing the real effect of the change, I could see how it would feel really surface. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's also hard because like I think when you work for a large company, you would say that not everyone feels passionate about the movement or the intention. Right. People are there literally Mm -hmm. just to get a paycheck. And I felt both parties. So I'm just like, if Uh, that's the case, it doesn't sound very genuine to be selling girl boss. When you do you actually believe in this? 
some people didn't, you know? So I think for me, that's mm-hmm. where I felt like, hmm, something feels contradicting here. But at the same time, there's mm-hmm. others that do believe in this. It's kind of like when you see a, someone wear a shirt that says hustle. You're like, well, it just feels very like, oh, you're just using that because it's a thing and it's mm-hmm. in versus like, do you actually really think that that's tr- it's true? It's more like a trend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a trend thing versus mm-hmm. like you actually believe in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I could see how in that environment, because if you're in the workplace that is pushing the branding of girl boss mm-hmm. and in any office culture setting in, in a capitalistic society, not everyone is there for the social issue, exactly. right? They're there sometimes to get a paycheck. So you're directly mm-hmm. seeing in your office uh, someone who is pushing a social issue, but not personally passionate mm-hmm. about it. That was my experience. I know it's a little like confusing, um, but Janet, well, how about your experience with the girl boss movement? So for me, uh, at the beginning of my career, I aligned a lot with the girl boss values. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was same with Helen. We graduated about a year or two apart, and around 2008 ish is when I started my first job um, in in a corporate setting. And that grind mentality, where the ba- the badge of honor is like working long hours and the focus on climbing the corporate ladder, all the things that um, these white male dominated systems embrace, like those were the things that I was working towards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I always struggled with this system and I experienced a lot of internal conflict because I think the definition of success and the work style of the system in general, just it did not ultimately match my natural strengths, talents, and my deeper values. Um, and I tried in various ways to solve this conflict. And you can see that reflected in my career trajectory. So, you know, I started at Deloitte where the system was very prevalent. Uh, and then and then I, I felt really empty. So I eventually left. And I swung to the other extreme of moving into like a renegade setting of social entrepreneurship that uh, where the people really aimed to kind of flip the capitalistic system. Um, but then I kind of, you know, need to feed myself (laughs) and couldn't quite find the place in that. So then I swung back into the big business of advertising where once again, competition and grind are heavily entrenched in the culture. Um, And then at that point, you know, you feel more, you start to reach like personal burnout. Um, And then I went back to, you know, once again, the alternative world of Chinese medicine, ultimately landing in UX design where the work culture felt to me more progressive, at least the companies that I found. The back and forth of being in settings that flourished under the existing white male dominated structures to those that were, you know, focused on upending or just working completely outside of those systems. um, That's something I've been grappling with, like, I guess, since the beginning of my career. So in some senses, I've, I've really struggled and wrestled with this idea of leaning in um, versus like building a new system altogether for a long time. And I don't have an answer, <laughs> yeah. but I do think that it is, I think it is a pretty exciting time uh, right now in society where we are seeing that people are questioning the system and that we're in a position in our generation to help like redefine it. So it sounds like the reason why you transition so much between different jobs is maybe less so about like like the personality or the 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 people or whatever it was, but it was more so because the systems in place didn't feel right for you that you yes. switched to like a different system or structure. That is exactly why I would change because I would look at the people at the top and I'm like, if this is what I'm supposed to be working towards, I don't really align mm. with that. Yeah. Mm. So then why am I here, right? Mm, yeah. And And so every time that I would do that, it's like, not quite, not quite. And I would swing between these extremes of like, you know, being working within the system and then trying to work alongside people who are completely building a new system or like right, right. kind of in the very alternative spot. Did you know that as you were transitioning or is it more like a, in hindsight, now mm. I know that that was the reason why I transitioned? I mean, I would say actually 
that when I was going through it, that is how I vocalized to people. But mm. maybe the story doesn't make sense until you, you see it. Like in totality. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. yeah. when I would when people would be like, Why are you changing jobs again? I would be like, I just it doesn't feel right. Yeah. Or like I don't really It's agree a feeling. With- yeah. 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 It's a feeling and it's hard to like articulate. Yeah. I think I'm hearing you guys both talk about systems and everything. Is systems also part of the values of the company? Yes. Yeah. I would I would define the system and the structure as like Basically, like, what are what are the goals of the mm. of the company that you're working for, and then how do they pursue those goals? Yeah, um, I think as you as I'm listening to you talk, I'm also just kind of reflecting, and I don't know if you ladies agree, but I think I can't think of a like a company or a system that I want to work for right now. I mean, obviously, because I work for myself and ABG, but it's just hard to be like, well, what's the system I want to work for? Because I think maybe for us, ABG, we're in a building period. I'm like, I'm at least, I feel fortunate we were able to build something. But I'm like, I can see why, like, Janet, you changed so many, like, jobs. Because you're like, well, like, trying to find the right match. I'm like, then I'm wondering, like, in general, are all the systems just, like, something I don't want to work for? Maybe it does make sense for me to make something and create something from the ground up, you know? Right, yeah. I think that's where a lot of this discussion is being held, too, because... And I think we talk about this a little bit later, but it's because we do have to function within this capitalistic society. So the system has to be mm-hmm. created within the system in order for it to succeed. So I think inherently with even even with ABG, you know, like who knows, we might be influenced by whether it's certain powers or money or whatever it is. And um, I think we just have to be aware of it and take the right steps. And I think the the thing that I did, like, Another aspect of the back and forth was I saw how effective corporate culture was at getting shit done, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't necessarily like the the why of what we were doing. And then when I found things where I liked the why, the how they were doing it wasn't quite sitting well with me. Mm-hmm. So I was always, you know, and that was a lot of what spurred my fascination with social enterprise work mm-hmm. in college. Like I, I took a class in international development and it was all about using corporate practices to solve social issues. I was like, wow, this is like the solution to everything, right? Um, But then in practice, it's definitely not that simple. And so I kind of, but I think I held on to the hope of like throughout my career, like that I could find, it it was either, it was like either I need to change my expectations Mm -hmm. or I can find a place that matches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. hard. I I would agree that's a struggle because I feel like you're always, you're always going back and forth with each, especially you want to change jobs. Like that's why sometimes people end up just playing the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. ABGs and ABBs, we want to share with you one of our favorite food subscription services, Daily Harvest. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like when it gets hot out there, I'm looking for ways to do less. That's why lately I've been skipping out on meal prep and keeping things easy with Daily Harvest. And right now, Daily Harvest is helping me beat the heat with their refreshing smoothies and delicious scoops, their new plant-based ice cream. Scoops are free of additives, preservatives, and fillers because they're made with whole, nourishing, organic ingredients like black sesame, which I love, coconut cream, and dragon fruit. They also have harvest bowls, soups, smoothies, chia bowls, and dessert bites, too. Daily Harvest works directly with farms, and they freeze organic fruits and vegetables at peak ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste. Keep it simple this summer with Daily Harvest. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code ASIANBOSSGIRL to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code ASIANBOSSGIRL, one word, for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. dailyharvest.com. 
As we all adjust to wearing masks as the new normal, we know how difficult it's been for parents to find the right masks for their kids to wear. My sister, who has two kids, got the Crayola School Mask Pack, and she says it's one of the best kid-friendly masks she's been able to get her hands on. Each school mask pack comes with five comfortable cloth masks, so your kid has a fresh mask with a new fun design every single school day. All masks are built with a 3D design, a form-fitting nose wire, and adjustable ear straps. Plus, it's environmentally friendly. You can reduce environmental waste by avoiding single-use disposable masks because these masks are machine washable and even come with a mesh laundry bag, so your masks don't get lost in those weird places your socks go. When it comes to making the best mask decision for you and your family, the Crayola Mask Pack has perfected every detail. We're recommending it to you and all the other parents we come across too. Do what our families have done and get your family the Crayola School Mask Pack today at schoolmaskpack.com abg. That's schoolmaskpack.com abg. Now, back to ABG, uh, there are two points that we want to highlight in this episode. The first is our intention with ABG. The words girl and boss are in our name. They're just flipped, Asian boss girl. So we want to, uh, you know, kind of continue the conversation from our first episode, what's in a name, right? When we first came up with the name ABG, Asian boss girl, we had connected it to the idea of a working woman who was an elevated Asian baby girl, which all of us had an association with at one point in our lives. And even though we were all three influenced by the girl boss movement and sort of like the catchiness of that phrase, our intent with this podcast was and is to share the stories of a multifaceted Asian American woman, someone who faces imposter syndrome, mental health, bad breakups, and still has goals and aspirations without needing to step on others to get there. So our intent with ABG since the start has been about sharing the stories and the nuances of being an Asian female working woman. Less so about emphasizing the boss girl or girl boss movement, even though it is in our name. And the second point that we really wanted to drive home is how we are different from the girl boss movement at large. Even though we are not white and we are not abusive to our employees because we don't really have official employees right now, uh, we think it's important to at least start having the conversations and acknowledge what is going on in the hashtag girl boss culture so that we as Asian boss girl can take the right steps to uh, move forward within our own company. And here at ABG, we do take on the identity of both a woman and a minority. Yes. And that means that how we are judged is even more complex because we're dealing with the expectations that society places on both women and minorities. In one of our past episodes, episode 36, we interviewed Nadia Okamoto, who was a young Asian American woman and started the period movement and was incredibly successful. Um, And, you know, due to what's happening in the current environment, she was recently called out uh, for fabricating parts of her story, um, dramatizing certain social struggles, not really properly crediting people for their art and their work, um, exploiting smaller period-related companies. Um, Basically all, you know, there's just a lot of commentary and critique on the style and the manner in which she uh, pursued her passion. Um, And in her apology note that she posted on her social media accounts, she mentioned that her intention did not align with her impact. So something that stands out to us about her story is that Uh, You know, she is someone who was very good at succeeding inside that system. But when things go sour, is it the system and its rules that you have to play by? Or is it the person and their ethics that we should blame? Mm. Ooh, ooh, that's deep. And it makes us wonder, you know, what is the solution? Is it to have empathy and educate these people that made mistakes? Or do we cancel them and burn the whole system down and start anew? 
Deep questions, ladies. Deep questions. Another issue with the girl boss movement, um, as noted in the Medium and Atlantic articles, and we kind of touched upon this earlier, is profiting off of feminism. I think the question for us is, how do we become a large, thriving company while operating within a capitalistic society and still sharing our stories and the stories of other Asian women when our intention is not to sell you feminism, but to create a community and a safe space for women to connect, relate to, and feel supported by? I mean, we ask ourselves, would it be a dream of ours to build ABG to where Sophia Amoroso was able to build Girl Boss and Nasty Gal to have as big of a following as Sheryl Sandberg did with Lean In? to be the fastest growing women-owned something like Nadia Okamoto's period company. And I think, yes, we're not going to deny that, but we are also very cognizant of the fact that every decision we make within a company on a yearly, weekly, daily basis is a choice towards the direction that we want our company to grow towards. And the current social and economic environment that we're operating in really makes me think of um, this one quote, Judo, I'm going to say his name horrible, Jiddu Krishnamurti. Uh, I don't know if you ladies have heard this, but it's his quote is, it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Oh, so much deepness. Oh. <laughs> I think we're... Mel's like, we're, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I mean, the I mean, what he's basically saying is just because you're winning, if the game is, you know, really uh, fucked up, then does that make you a winner? Right. Mm-hmm. Or like was was is, was success that sweet? If you mm. maybe that's not I don't know how to. No, I like that. Was success actually that sweet when the machine that was making the candy was filled with bugs? <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy. <laughs> that's a very good analogy. Um, so, yeah. And I think, you know, we're living in a really interesting time when our, our nation at large is questioning a lot of our systems. And what's exciting to me is that we get to build ABG in this climate. So hopefully some of the rules that Girl Boss and the lean-in culture were restricted by, we can start to see broken down. Um, and, you know, also we operate largely in the podcasting industry, which is also a very young and new industry where practices, processes, and systems are still being decided and built. So um, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I, I think that there is potential for us to help kind of like mold that space and that mm-hmm. that feels exciting. Yeah. And I think for the three of us, you know, we intend to be transparent about our business and our intentions. We definitely want to make a difference with, um, with you know, ABG and be transparent that, you know, we also need to feed ourselves at the same time. And figuring out how to do that is an important step for us. Like for Mel, those hot Cheetos aren't going to buy itself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, you know, so what did we learn from all of this? But I'll say the biggest things we took away from these conversations is one, don't exploit others. You know, pay people fairly if we have the means to. Don't sell that pink plush pillow Instagram image of what white feminism now looks like, like the wing did. And don't buy into the work like a man mentality. You know, we can also learn from other mistakes in this girl boss movement, you know, like the Wings founder, Audrey Gelman, who stepped down after their colleagues expressed a toxic culture of passive aggression and disrespect. Gelman shared that she had tried to play the role of the perfect girl boss, promoting that fantasy that a female founder could have it all. But behind the scenes, she wrote, her fear of failure had led her to obscure the real challenges unfolding at the wing. That's something that's been at the core of ABG, you know, to remove the perfect image of what an Asian boss girl should be and to dig into the nuances of what those failures look like. And now that we spent so much time talking about all of the women who, you know, maybe took missteps, um, why don't we kind of try to think of some female leaders who are doing it right in our definition? 
Um, so one person that comes to mind, and I know both of you ladies love her, and you've mentioned that her book and her uh, special on Netflix have been some of your favorites, um, Michelle Obama. She is someone who has uh, carried herself and you know put out a message and an image that is less elitist, um, that's not performative. She focuses a lot on deep empathy and humility. And those are very like contrasting ways of, of, of handling your persona than the kind of traditional white elitist male system. And another person that comes to mind, I mean, Sheryl Sandberg, we talked a lot about the sort of the negatives of the lean in movement. Um, but to me, she is someone who is also deeply empathetic. I actually do love listening to her talks. And to be honest, I think she was very brave in trying to find a solution by recognizing and calling out a system that was geared towards the success of men. I think in hindsight, we see that she was speaking from a place of privilege as a white woman, and she promoted playing the white man's game rather than creating or promoting a new system for us to operate in that creates equality for both men and women. Um, but I do you know, commend her for her efforts in, in trying to at least acknowledge that the system is, is flawed. I think we can all agree it's not black and white. You know, we still think Nadi is incredibly ambitious, has a good vision of end goals and understanding of how to play in the system that we all need to play in in order to succeed. And for a period of time, she did. You know, but recognizing that she did not take the most morally driven and inclusive steps to get there. Now, of course, none of these women that we have listed are perfect, right? But that, that the whole point is that it's about progress and not perfection. And with every decision that we make, our hope is that the three of us will continue to keep each other accountable, that our intentions are always for the right reasons for ourselves, our team, and our listeners, and that we can get there in a way that is inherently good and moral. Do you ladies remember when we wanted to launch merch for the very first time? It was only a year ago, but I recall feeling overwhelmed by trying to figure out the right way to get our t-shirts delivered to our listeners. Questions like, how do you keep track of orders? Which carrier do you use? What's a carrier? Are you getting the best rates? There's a lot to consider. But luckily, after a lot of research, we landed on ShipStation and have been using it ever since. ShipStation is easy to use, fast, and the most affordable way for you to manage and send out your orders. No matter if you're selling on Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. If I can be ABG's one-woman team shipping out orders, trust me, it's easy to use. And right now, Asian Boss Girl listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code ABG. Make sure your business is ready to meet the demands of delivery culture. Get started at ShipStation.com today. Click on the microphone at the top of the ShipStation homepage and type in ABG. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code ABG. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swathers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know we did not get into the discussion of cancel culture during this episode, but something that we want to take away from all of this is that the intent of the hashtag girlboss movement was net positive. To us, canceling girlboss and canceling feminism like the Atlantic and Medium articles are leaning towards does not seem like the right answer. We acknowledge that we live in a capitalistic, male-dominated society. So how do we excel inside of this framework? And specifically, how are minority female entrepreneurs supposed to thrive in this system? We know the solution from Lean In of slotting in women to top positions in organizations mostly run by men is a good step in the right direction, but not the end-all be-all solution. And instead of trying to excel within the current systems, which is what Sheryl Sandberg encouraged us to do, we need to start thinking about how to address systemic racism and sexism, how to dismantle the systems in place and remove abuses of power and do that all in a moral and inclusive way. We're living in a time where it seems that existing systems are being broken down and questioned, and new systems are being thought out, and people are being held accountable. You know, we don't know the full answers to fixing the system, but we hope that by talking about it in this episode, we can hold ourselves accountable at Asian Boss Girl, sharing the thoughts that we've been having, and hopefully starting this conversation is just a first step in the right direction. You can find us all on the podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a rating and review at Asian Boss Girl. And if you'd like to support us through monthly donations, you can do so at anchor.fm slash slash support. We are also very active on social. Our handle is at Asian Boss Girl. If you enjoyed today's episode, please uh, take a screenshot of you listening to our podcast and tag us on social and we'll reshare it. You can also find us on YouTube where we have started posting some vlogs and other videos. Subscribe at Asian Boss Girl. And thank you so much to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all her magic on our episodes, including this one. Catch us on the next episode. Bye. Bye.